0: Luke chapter 4, we'll be reading from verse 1 to 13. Uh, This is where the preaching of God's word is going to come from this afternoon. So Luke chapter 4, I'll read from verse 1 to 13. This is God's word. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the if, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve and he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, you will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time.
1: Let us pray. Lord, we again bow before you. Asking for your help now as we consider your word. Lord, please help me to
0: be able to articulate your truth in a manner that all will be able to understand. Help me now that I will not rest in my own intellect and abilities, but completely and totally in your spirit
1: to instruct my mind and my heart
0: and my speech, that indeed, Lord, we all will be blessed by the hearing of your word. Lord, please help us all to be drawn to listen
1: keenly to your word. Help us not to be distracted.
0: May your spirit indeed illuminate all of our minds to the truth of your word, that indeed we will
1: see what a savior we have. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. It's it's always such a
0: joy to listen to the testimonies as we have this afternoon of how we
1: came to know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as our brother, uh,
0: who was being uh, interviewed for membership and was giving his testimony, said that he does not depend on his works, on his own righteousness, but... He simply and solely depends on the righteousness of Christ. And this is something that we all would attest to. If we are to give our own testimonies of how we came to know the Lord, of how we became Christians, this is one aspect that we usually focus on. The fact that By
1: myself, I cannot be able to save me. My works cannot be able to earn me
0: the salvation that I so need. But I have one who has lived a righteous life, a life without sin, in whom I have come to believe and to trust him. And it is because of his righteousness that right now I am standing here as a Christian, as one who is born again. And what we see here in the temptations of Jesus is that righteousness that you and me depend on for our salvation being actually worked out. The righteousness that saves you and me
1: is not a fiction. It's not
0: something that is uh, imagined. It is something that was lived out in the person of Christ Jesus. And so if at any point In these temptations that we are seeing here, if there was any point that Christ capitulated to the schemes and devices of the evil one, there would be no TBC. There would be no you and me as Christians, as children of God. So as we are going through these temptations, indeed. As we see Christ triumphing and conquering over the devil as he brings all these attacks to us, to our Lord and Savior. Indeed, at every point, my prayer is that we'll be able to say, as we have just sung, Hallelujah, what a savior!
1: Hallelujah,
0: what a savior! And you see, it's not only in our justification that we depend upon the life of Christ, his righteousness that he actually lived out in this world, but also in our sanctification in our day-to-day lives as Christians. It's interesting what... Hebrews tells us that we uh, read earlier on in the morning, the public reading of scriptures there in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 18 says that, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, that is Christ, he is able to help those who are being, tempted.
1: What a wonderful
0: statement that is, that the reason why Christ is able to help you right now in your temptations is because of the very temptations that he himself faced and was able to overcome. So that even your sanctifying life in the here and now is dependent upon the Lord
1: and his life, here or now. So that from beginning to the end, again we see that every aspect
0: and element about our salvation depends upon our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that Jesus' victory over Satan's temptation has secured our salvation, has secured your justification, your acceptance before God. It has also secured your sanctification, the fact that right now you can be able to victoriously wrestle sin and to wrestle temptations and to be able to overcome is because of what Christ did in his earthly ministry. It's anchored there. And so here in chapter 4, as we begin to look at the temptations of Jesus, one other important thing to note is the way Luke has organized his narration of the gospel. It's interesting that he places the genealogy in chapter 3 as, it, as, as chapter 3 draws to a close I think if you are writing a biography and you are telling a story about a person, you wouldn't put their genealogy or trace their roots in the third chapter, right? It naturally falls in the first chapter. You begin there. The origin of this guy. This is the family which he was born in. And because he was born in this family, that's how his life has progressed until this particular point. And so we might ask a very legitimate question. Why is it that for Dr. Luke, he places the genealogy at uh, at the third chapter instead of the first chapter? And I think there is a very good reason for why he does so. In Luke chapter 3 from verse 23 we read of the genealogy of Jesus Christ and we are told that Jesus when he began his ministry was about 30 years of age being the son as was supposed of Joseph the son of Heli and it goes on and on and on until Verse 38 reads the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. And then, right after he has told us the genealogy of Christ, he moves into the temptations of Jesus. Why? Why is that the case? What is the point? of Luke in organizing his account in this
1: way. I believe the reason
0: why this is the case is because he wants to identify Jesus with Adam. Adam is here referred to as the son of God, and interestingly enough, before the Genealogy is the baptism of Christ where the Father says from heaven that you are my beloved son, with you, I am well pleased." So there is that divine uh, proclamation of Christ as the Son of God, and yet also as the Son of. Adam, or as the
1: son of man. Now we know that Adam was also tempted.
0: Just uh, as Christ tempted. In Genesis chapter three, we read of that account. And so his point is here is a second Adam. As Paul puts it, here is a second Adam who is coming to go face to face with the devil. And how
1: will he fare on?
0: How will he fare on? Will he be able to triumph over the enemy? Or will he be able to... uh, secure that victory that Adam failed to do in the first place in the garden of Adam. So because our first parent, that is Adam, fell prey to the schemes of the evil one, he brought about this destruction, this fall, face to face with the devil. And we are told that the Spirit Himself led him into the wilderness. It was the design of God that Christ should be tempted in this particular way. In fact, Mark says that He was driven, He was forcefully taken into the wilderness for this very reason that He should be tempted, and go face to face with the powers of darkness, with the evil one himself, and be able to triumph and conquer over him so that he can be able to grant us the salvation that we so badly needed. He is the one who will go into the wilderness that the first Adam, had taken us all into, go into that wilderness and come out victoriously so that he might usher us into the heavenly Jerusalem, the
1: new heavens and new earth, where all the consequences of sin will be taken away. So, That was God's design. Jesus was on the offensive in this uh, passage that we read
0: here. And so he's driven, he's uh, directed to go into the wilderness so that he might be tempted and we are told that he ate nothing while he was in the the wilderness. And after 40 days, he was hungry. And at the point where he was most vulnerable, now Satan comes with the first temptation. Now, a general comment about the temptations is that at every point that Christ Was tempted by the devil, he responded by quoting scripture. In verse uh, 4, when he is answering, he tells the devil, It is written. And again, in verse 8, when he is answering him, It is written, responds again there with God's word. And also in verse 12, it is saved. And all these citations come from the book of Deuteronomy. And I think there is a good reason why our Lord was quoting from this portion
1: of scripture in Deuteronomy. It's because
0: also he is demonstrating that He is going to do all that which Israel failed to do. Israel, again and again as a nation, failed in the wilderness, in the temptations, or in the tests that God put forth before them. At Massa, they complained about not having water They murmured and grumbled against the God who had shown them marvelous and great deeds. They complained about the manna, about themselves not having the kind of food that they would want and saying that, I wish we will go back to Egypt where we would have all these Uh, watermelons, and what have you, to feed ourselves. And so at various points, also the nation of Israel, that was to act as God's chosen people, failed. But here is one
1: who is faithful to God at every point, that the nation of Israel failed. So in the first
0: temptation, the devil tells Christ that if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now this is the same Scheme or device that the devil used with our first parent. Just a few verses in chapter 3, our Lord has heard clearly from the Heavenly Father proclaiming that you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. God has clearly spoken his word. This is who you are.
1: Does he need more proof? Other than just trusting in that which God has said? You see,
0: our first parents, they failed. God had given them his word. You shall not eat of the fruit that is
1: in the middle of the garden and how does satan come to them he comes and says to eve
0: did god really say that so that's that's the same strategy strategy that he is employing here on our lord and telling him to doubt that clear word of god that has been
1: proclaimed to him You see,
0: at this point, in comparison to our first parents, they were in a place of plenty where they had everything and anything that they would uh, desire to eat and to replenish themselves.
1: They were in a world where
0: Sin had not entered in any way. They were in a perfect paradise. And it is in that condition that the devil came and placed this temptation to them. But here with Christ, we could say that the odds were against him. He is hungry. He is weak. Humanly speaking. But even at this very point, we see that Christ was able to triumph over the evil one. And he replied to him by quoting the scriptures to him and saying, Man shall not live by bread alone. The Lord had designed that Christ be led into the spirit, I mean, into the wilderness. It is the spirit that had led him into the wilderness. It was God's will for him to be in such a place, having gone without food for this
1: period of time.
0: And so the devil comes and wants him to distrust God's word and God's will for him at this particular point but yet Christ Jesus was able to be faithful to God even at this very point and to simply tell him that his trust is solely in that which God
1: has directed him to do and then In the second temptation now, we see that Satan takes him to, uh,
0: in verse 5, and the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory For it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. It will all be yours. And you see, as I was reflecting on this temptation, in a way, we might struggle and wonder, how really is this a temptation?
1: I just asked myself if,
0: if the devil would have come to me and brought this uh, statement that I will give you the entire of this world if only you worship me. It seems something that you would easily dismiss, right? It's, it's not really, it does not seem really as a Great challenge, a great uh, temptation to to fall, but I think if we look at it from the fact that this was actually what Christ, as Messiah, was promised. He was promised an inheritance of nations. He was promised. To rule over the entire earth. He was to be the one to uh, restore that rule and dominion over all creation that Adam had lost in the first place. It's very intriguing also to look at still Hebrews chapter 2, the passage that we. Read in the morning when it speaks of Christ and applies to him. Psalm 8 in Hebrews chapter 2 from verse 5. Now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you mindful of him, or the Son of Man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than. The angels, you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Then it continues to say, now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. This was God's original design for man, that he would exercise authority, dominion, over all creation. But yet, as we look at the world as it is right now, that is not what we see. We see that there is sin, we see that there is natural disaster, we see that man in great ways and in great measures is not in control, is not subduing the earth as is supposed to So at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. Then, verse 9 talks now about Christ, but we see Him who, for a little while, was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So, Christ Jesus, in His messianic role, was to receive this uh, or restore to man this rightful authority over all creation to subdue the earth. And that's why, as I had said earlier in Psalm 2, speaking of the Messiah in verse eight of Psalm 2, We are told that ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the possessions of the earth and the ends of the earth your possession. So this this was something that Christ knew was the promise of the father to him. Dominion,
1: authority, kingly rule,
0: And that's why it was a real temptation. If you really needed something, or if you know that something was within your reach, or
1: was something that was designed for you, and
0: somebody offers you, yet in a shortcut way, it will be a real temptation for you to capitulate.
1: And so, what the devil says, it's very
0: easy. Why do it the hard way? Why suffer death? Because that was the God ordained means for Christ to be crowned with glory and honor. That
1: was the God ordained means. But the devil says, don't kill yourself.
0: Don't. Uh, go through this difficult, hard and laborious path that your father has designed for you. Just a small bow. Just a small bow. And I'll be able to give that which you have come for. You want authority? I can be able to give it to you. You want glory? I have glory. I can be able to offer it to you. But yet again, yet again, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ proves to be that offspring of the woman that was promised, who would come and crush the head of the serpent, and yet again crushes the head of the serpent by responding so wonderfully and simply by saying you shall, not, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. I will only offer my worship and adoration and glory to God. And even if it means that I should obey him even to the point of death on the cross, that is the path that I am willing to take. So again, we see that our Lord is indeed conquering over the devil and at
1: no point is he willing to
0: uh, acquiesce to his temptations so that, so that, we might be able to be redeemed and to be saved. Again, if at any point, if at any point in these temptations, Christ would have failed to yield to God and to overcome the evil one, you will not be saved. Your salvation, your, the, entire, the entirety of your salvation, Fangs on the faithfulness of Christ as he is being tempted. And we see that again here, he crushes the head of the serpent by responding in this marvelous way. Then, with the last temptation, the third temptation from verse 9, and he took him to. Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and say to him, again, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against On stone. And so it seems that here the devil seems to catch on with Christ. Okay, you're going to give me scripture? I also know some Bible. And he quotes for him the scriptures. He wants to use God's word, God's very own words, to lure Christ. Into distrusting his God. Again, it is if you are the Son of God, does Christ need to prove the fact that he is the Son of God? Absolutely no. In his baptism, the Father has clearly proclaimed to him, You are my beloved Son. There is no other proof that Christ needs, that he is indeed the son of God, it is for him to entrust
1: himself to God fully and completely. And so
0: he quotes this psalm here, and if we go even to this particular psalm, I believe it's in... Uh, Psalm 91, and verse 11 and 12, it speaks of the Messiah, interestingly enough. The devil knows that this is a messianic psalm. So, point to note is that the the devil knows the Bible pretty well. And he can be able to cunningly and craftily use God's word to lure us into sin and into disobeying God. In Psalm 91 and verse 11 and 12, there we read that, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Then verse 13, which seems to be an allusion to Genesis 3, 15, about Christ coming and crushing the head of the serpent as he seeks to bruise his heel, is that you will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will
1: trample underfoot. So
0: Christ was able to respond to the devil because the devil wanted the, again, the easy way, you know. If you just go to this temple and do this great stunt, Who will not believe that you're the Messiah? If you just throw yourself down and nothing happens to you and you walk in the streets of Jerusalem, surely everybody will be able to believe that you are the Messiah. But that was not the will of the Father. The will of the Father was that the Son... Whom he has sent into this world, he'll go to the cross. The suffering of the cross was the means, there was the God ordained and appointed means for securing salvation for us. That was the way through which He Himself as Christ will be exalted. That is what Philippians chapter 2 brings to our minds in Philippians chapter two, talking about Christ's humility and telling us from verse four, let me read from verse five, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This was what God had appointed for the Messiah. And because he was obedient even to the point of death on a cross, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.
1: Here is the devil offering him glory. Just do this. Throw yourself down. God has said in his word.
0: And here we ought to learn the principle of interpreting scripture or drawing meaning from scripture is that scripture interprets scripture. We cannot take a verse out of context and use it to suit our own desires. That was what the devil was telling Christ to do here. We ought to be diligent students of the Bible because this is one way with which the devil can
1: take you prayer. Using the scriptures themselves.
0: And because Christ knew his Bible very well, he was able to rightfully respond to the evil one. It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to test.
1: And yet again we see that Christ would not let his guard down. He was victorious to the very end.
0: And even as uh, verse 13 brings to our attention that the devil, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an
1: opportune time. So this was not over. It is not over for our Lord.
0: This was a moment when it seems that the devil had uh, concentrated his efforts to a greater extent in order to bring down the Messiah of God and to be able to destroy our very salvation. But yet, Our our Lord and Savior was strong and mighty and was able to crush the head of the serpent. And there was the account where uh, the Lord explains to Peter that he's going to go on the cross and die. And what does Peter say? No, that is not the way you're supposed to go. And Christ's response was, Get thee behind me, Satan. So we see that again and again in the life of our Lord, Satan will truly seek opportune times in order to make Christ not to submit himself entirely to the will of God. But as we know, as we know throughout his life as we read both in hebrews and in second corinthians 5:21 he had no sin he was faithful to god in all his life and right now we can come in our membership interviews and hear of testimonies and people say that I cling to the righteousness of Christ and he's alone for my salvation. Why? Because
1: Christ overcame. Christ
0: was faithful to God in all his life and was the sinless lamb of God that was fit enough to take us to take away our sin and grant us that righteousness that is required for us to stand before a holy God. So then in application, maybe a few points is that I think at times when we come to such portions of scriptures, we might be tempted first of all to draw Uh, principles of how to overcome temptations. And surely there are principles or uh, teaching that we can draw out of this. We see how the Lord responded to the devil and we can draw uh, principles and lessons on how we ourselves as individuals can be able to respond to the evil one when we are tempted. But primarily that was not what Luke was drawing, our focus on. His primary intent was to show us who Christ is. That this is the last Adam, the second Adam, who has come to accomplish the saving work of God. And he actually did it. And so as we behold Christ for who he truly is as a mighty savior, our response surely should be to worship him.
1: So let us worship Christ as the
0: one who has truly overcome the powers of the evil one and has now ushered us into his very own kingdom, where now, as Ephesians tells us, That we ought to put the full armor of God and wrestle triumphantly over the the principalities and rulers and and evil of this world. That truly now we are the church of Christ and the gates of Hades shall not prevail. And I think One way of thinking about that verse is, what are gates for? Why do you put a gate? It's for defense, right?
1: So Satan is on the defense. We are the ones who are on the offensive to destroy
0: all that he represents with his demons and everything that there is. And so, and this is the case because of who? Jesus. He was faithful to the very end. Then, as we read in Hebrews chapter chapter 2 and verse 14, I believe, the very last verse of Hebrews chapter 2, that because Christ was tempted, the application there is,
1: can be able to help us. I don't know how you respond
0: to your temptations. But surely, one way is to reflect on who Jesus is and what he has done. In the moment of temptations, and draw from Christ himself that victory that you so badly need at that moment. Is that how you face your temptations? Because that is what Hebrews is charging us towards. There is one who has been victorious over every kind of temptation that you can imagine.
1: And surely he can be able to help you. If if you play a game like chess and you have a person
0: who has never been defeated by any other player. And then, and then that player tells you, I want you to come in for a year so that I can show you how to beat
1: anyone in this world. Would you doubt him? Surely you won't. Because he has truly conquered everyone.
0: And so this is our Christ He has truly overcome. He is able. He is willing. And so, at our moments of temptation, we ought to run to him, to call upon his name. Christ, I have seen you. I have seen you in the wilderness. And how you were able to defeat the evil one. And right now, in this time, I really need your help. Please help me. I don't know if you've ever done that. Christ has failed you, but most of the time we want to wrestle our temptations by our own strength, by our own devices, by our own methods. So let us depend and lean on Christ to help us when we are being tempted. And thirdly, we can learn the strategies of Satan in tempting us by observing how he went about tempting Christ, we can truly learn something about the schemes of the devil. We are not ignorant of his ways. And because that is the reason, because we see, for example, in this portion of scripture, how he went about tempting our Lord. And this was Satan at his best. At this point, he was at his best, and so we can be able to learn. And one thing that we see, for example, is that Satan
1: wants us to distrust God's word and even use God's word itself to make us to distrust God. So that's, that's one way we see
0: uh, the strategy of the devil in this uh, portion of scripture. I'm sure we could explore more, but let me just give that in general. And may the Lord help
1: us to be able to take to heart all these things. Shall we pray? Oh, Lord,
0: uh, we are thankful for your great and mighty work that you have performed in salvation through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that it was your intent and purpose that he goes into the wilderness to face the devil and to assail
1: all of his schemes and his plans and his powers and to crush his head so that, Lord,
0: he might be able to lead us into a salvation, a great and wonderful salvation by which we ourselves would be restored back to you of Father, who will be saved, who would be granted this righteousness that is acceptable before you. And not only that, but also be helped in our work of salvation to be faithful Christians that you expect of us. So, Lord,
1: we pray that you would help us to
0: uh, apply this word in our lives. Help us to uh, see what a mighty Savior we have in our Lord and Savior
1: Jesus Christ. Help us, O Lord, to also be able to um,
0: respond to temptation by running to Christ and pleading with him to grant us a way of escape.
1: Help us to truly profit from the preaching of your word this evening. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.